Welcome to Cybersecurity Unplugged, the cyber theory podcast where we explore issues that matter in the world of cybersecurity. Good day, everyone. I'm Steve King, the Managing Director at Cyber Theory. Today's episode is going to focus on the current state of training and education in cybersecurity. Joining me today is Rob Clyde, a Senior Board Director of ISACA and the Chairman of the Board for White Cloud Security and an advisor to Shard Security and a former Chairman and Head of the Finance Committee for ISACA. Rob has a long history in cybersecurity education and training, and as the former CTO of Symantec for almost nine years, he's grounded in operational technology and is an expert thought leader in the cybersecurity space. He sits on a variety of boards and has served as the senior C-level officer for many leading technology companies. So welcome, Rob. I'm glad you could join me today. Thank you, Steve. It's a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Rob, in my opinion, there's no stronger proponent of cybersecurity training and education than ISACA. Can you spend a couple of minutes sharing with our audience the history of ISACA and about your leadership experience with the organization? Well, Steve, thank you for the, the, the kind words about ISACA. I couldn't agree with you more. It's one of the reasons I choose to spend some of my time with ISACA. I, I do believe we are a very strong proponent of cybersecurity training and education. We have a strong history in this arena. Uh, we started as an association in 1969 and grew from seven individuals to today over 150,000 individuals and one initial chapter to now over 220 chapters in over 180 countries worldwide. So truly a global organization. Uh, We initially focused on IT audit professionals in the very early days, moved from there uh, a short time later to cybersecurity, governance, risk, and more recently, we added privacy. So very strong history, a great deal of financial strength, staff strength, volunteer strength, and I happen to be a volunteer, and of course, our chapters so that we have that local reach. So education goes from things that you can get online all the way to the, to the chapters. You know, I've been involved with ISACA for a very long time, uh, since the early days of, of the internet, and even just a little bit before the internet. Uh, initially teaching uh, as a speaker, uh, sometimes doing workshops, sometimes getting involved with planning conference events as, as one of the committees on one of the program committees for conferences. Often I've been a subject matter expert over the years, been an author of many publications and research. Over the last uh, decade or so, I've been very involved in, in uh, with ISACA from a leadership perspective. So served on the Strategic Advisory Council, Council about a decade ago. And over the last seven years, going on my eighth year now, I've been serving on the board of directors, as you mentioned. I've been the uh, finance committee chair, the vice chair, the chair, the compensation committee chair. I'm currently the governance and nominating committee chair. And I've been a member of many other uh, board committees uh, during this time. Really enjoy doing it. And one of the reasons I love to volunteer for ISACA is it's one of those organizations that where you can actually get things done. We can't do everything, but those things we choose to do, we actually have the money, the staff, and the resources to accomplish them. And and that is just gratifying when you choose to spend your time on something you'd like to see a result. And I've always felt like I could with ISACA. 
Yeah. And uh, you guys are organized in such a way as to deliver this quite well. And that local uh, local chapter thing makes a makes a lot of sense. As you know, and, and you know, far better than most, we have an expanding uh, skills gap across all work roles in cybersecurity. Most of my colleagues point to a severe shortage in the cyber warrior class, kind of the frontline soldier that we need to, you know, defend, defend and provide an active defense uh, on our behalf. What, in your view, should we be doing to close that gap and have a better chance at, at defense than we do now? Well, if you look at ISACA's state of cybersecurity study that we just did, the 2021 version, part one survey, we had a report that came from that. And I have to say, unfortunately, I just agree with you and your colleagues. 61% of our survey respondents say cybersecurity teams are understaffed. So that's the vast majority. An amazing 55% say they have unfilled cybersecurity positions. So it's not just a question of getting budget to staff the positions. When they do have budget, they can't get them filled like they'd like to. And and that's definitely causing some challenges. And we've got to think outside the box. Just going out and trying to hire the best professionals, we're just going to just have one company stealing from another company. And that's pretty much what's been happening. And that's why there's a continued shortage. We need to look at this a little more holistically. And investing in training and education is key. So consider non-traditional methods. For example, do you have non-security staff who are interested in moving into cybersecurity? And could could you provide them the cross-training and invest in them and help them do that? That'll help build loyalty, but also help actually deal with this shortage. We see an increasing use of contract employees and outside consultants, and I think that will continue. It's a great, great place to go if you're interested, uh, is to go into that world of outside consulting because companies are very interested in that. There's also, you know, considering what we might be able to do earlier in the education cycle, because there's not necessarily a quick fix to this problem. And so one of the things we look at ISACA is how can we partner with universities? How can we partner with other educators to help encourage more people to come into this field and to ensure that the curriculum is in place, that that they can get the training that they need? Yeah, sure. It's funny that some of the folks that are faced with this dilemma say, gee, what happens when I train these folks up and then they leave? And then I think the the humorous response to that is, yeah, but what if you don't train them and they stay? That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've done this before in my career. I've, I've done training programs. And I can tell you, in particular, if you move somebody into a somebody that's not necessarily a cybersecurity person and you move them into that field, they're usually extremely grateful to the organization that helped them move, make that career move that was so important to them. And it does help to build some loyalty as part of that. And while there's no guarantee when you train people that they might stay, there is a guarantee that if you don't engage in this, you're probably going to continue to have a severe staffing shortage. And even the people who do come to your company, when they learn that you do not believe in investing and training your own employees, they're not going to stay around long. 
That's absolutely true. And I, as a, in, when I was a CISO, one of my tenets was give me your best, give me our best uh, network engineers from the IT side, and let me train these guys up. And you know, six months later, I've got a, I've got a very competent uh, security analyst, yeah. and uh, and then it's much easier to fill the network engineering side role than it is to fill. Yeah. A, experience or, or, or even a uh, a programmer who is you know kind of middle of the road not not necessarily a star programmer can become a star cybersecurity person yeah and their and their coding ability will help them as they become cybersecurity professionals and so there are all kinds of places where people can come from and move to this career and it can can just be such an exciting career path. I highly encourage people. It's always challenging. You have a real adversary, not just competition. You have a real adversary. They're actually bad guys that you worry about in this job. And it just, it just makes it exciting and challenging. Yeah. No kidding. Speaking of starring, you star in a short video that announces our entry into the world of cybersecurity education here formally anyway. Our focus with our program is on supplementing our original content with coursework from ISACA and, and other third parties. Our value proposition is a central unified source for training material curated by a faculty of working CISOs. What in, you, in your mind are the most important success factors in the delivery of an effective online education program in cyber? Sure. Well, first of all, it's got to come from a respected source. I, I certainly think in your case, you've ticked those boxes. Thank you for, by the way, by partnering with ISACA. So certainly one of the ways to tick those boxes. And the other is to, ha- is to look at the faculty. You know, uh, working CISOs is a great place to start from. People want to learn from practitioners, people that actually do the work. And so having those highly qualified instructors is key. When you look at it online, you also want to have it in a, in a format, in a way that can be effective as well. It might be live presentations, webinars, could be recorded webinars, could be course material that you work through. And it can also be hands-on training. In today's world, we can have virtual environments where people can actually try some things out. And so that's another approach. And last and most important is I think it's important to get some type of a credential, something that indicates after you've done the online education, you actually receive something tangible, a certification, a certificate, something tangible that you can use to demonstrate that you met the learning objectives and use that with an employer as you share it with other people so that they understand what you're capable of doing now that you've taken the online course. Yeah, sure. And uh, we plan to plan to make those badges and the certification uh, qualifiers. Yeah, good point about the badges. That's another key thing. People love to have those, show them on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. You know, LinkedIn has a great, you know, can actually tie to various certifications so that people can very quickly determine if your credential is real. Yeah, that's right. And and that's nice that LinkedIn does that. It's it helps very much in the in the actual certification process so that we know, as you say, that that this is something that you actually did earn and that it's real. Yeah, gone are the days where you can just make stuff up and put it on your resume and actually not get caught. Yeah, right. right. You're a field of cyber. It's, yep. it's just the internet's good for good for something, right? Yep. 
you earned your undergraduate degree in uh, in computer science from Brigham Young a, a few years ago. Do you see private and public colleges stepping up to provide a adequate amount of coursework and focus on preparing students for operating in the digital world? And how much have curriculums changed over the last 20 years or so? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of number of points in there. And yes, I I I did go to BYU, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. There were no cybersecurity curriculums back then. In fact, there were relatively few schools doing computer science, and BYU at the time was one of the top 10 schools in the country and, and uh, very much enjoyed that. Still a great school to go to, highly recommend it anywhere in the computer field. But we have seen over the last couple of decades schools actually providing cybersecurity degrees of various kinds. Oftentimes, they come out of what used to be the MIS, the MIS department. I actually serve on the advisory board for Utah State University for their curriculum in this space. Uh, they have actually renamed it to the uh, uh, data analytics and information systems because they felt that the MIS designation was a little bit dated and didn't speak to it as much. I have seen the curriculums improve. One of the things I think for universities to do is to partner with credential providers and educate other educators like like yourselves, like ISOCET, so that they can actually get a credential and to ensure that students have live hands-on experience particularly experience in today's world with cloud and with tools that you can you can use to run a business securely in the cloud. Kind of skate to where the puck is going. Don't just go backwards and have universities training you on how to run servers, physical servers. Useful as that might be, most of today's opportunities and most organizations are looking for their younger talent, the talent coming out of universities to understand the newer technologies. That's why they want to hire young. And so that that becomes very important. And I have seen curriculums. I'm just using my own experience with uh, Utah State University. I've seen curriculums stepping up to do more there. Those organizations and universities that are still a little more old-fashioned and more around the physical systems, I would challenge them to move forward to today's world that is is more in the cloud. So do you think that a combination of a uh, you know degree in uh cybersecurity with uh with a set of certifications uh CISSP, CISM, et cetera, do you do you think that that combination is uh, is is powerful and is that what you'd recommend uh, somebody who's in their 20s and is trying to figure out what to do? Yeah, I I do think it's powerful. You also have to be realistic. Some certifications, including the two you just mentioned, CISSP and CISM, actually require a certain amount of work experience in the field. And so they are meant to be for not necessarily graduates who have no work experience, but people actually also have work experience. Can you achieve that in your 20s? Absolutely, you can. Are there also, though, credentials, certificates? For example, ISACA has a cybersecurity fundamental certificate that is designed for students. And I think you'll see more and more student credentials that are not requiring work experience that people can actually walk out of the university and not only have their degree, but also have a certificate or certification of some type. 
Yeah, so that gives them a, a kind of a more specific target in terms yeah, of... Yeah, I mean, yeah, you need to kind of be realistic. Some students, you know, are fortunate. They have lots of work experience and their students, great, good for them. But I think universities, and I see it happening more, should partner with credential offering organizations like ISACA to find the correct credentials that they can help their students earn as they go through their degree program. Secondly, I'm not sure everybody has to have a four-year degree to be a strong cybersecurity professional. And so I think we need a little more focus on associates programs and other types of programs. I I like the university program and be getting a well-rounded education, but truth be told, can you be a great cybersecurity practitioner with a couple of years of of strong technical education, the answer is probably yes. I think that's true myself. And so, you know, the community college sort of path makes a makes a lot of sense yeah, to me. You're not in debt for the rest of your life. And later on, you want to go back and get your degree or your MBA, which may make a lot of sense. Maybe that's a pathway that doesn't require you taking on, on what today can be overwhelming student debt. Yeah, no, no kidding. You're NACD certified. We all, you know, agree that there's a gap in communications with uh, with the C-suite and board members with respect to to cybersecurity. Tell our audience about what that certification means and and then how you see the state of board level cybersecurity awareness today versus, let's say, five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot there. So recently, the NACD realized, like many other professionals, the NACD, by the way, stands for the National Association of Corporate Directors. So just as there are certifications for cybersecurity professionals, such as this the CISM or the CISSP or some of the others that ISACA has, we have a number around emerging technologies that are getting quite interesting around those credentials. The NACD, which focuses on board directors, that's who joins that association, recently, uh, over the last couple of years, came out with a certification for board directors. So board directors have to go through a process to demonstrate that they actually know a certain set of subjects and can respond to a certain set of cases in order to become certified. So it's a proctored exam like many of these others, a very uh, interesting process. And like many of these others, you have to have a certain amount of work experience as a board director to achieve it. Interestingly enough, there's a great deal of focus within that certification around cybersecurity. And I can tell you at the NACD, and I'm very active with the NACD, there is a great deal of attention on cybersecurity. Many webinars, There are many training programs for board directors to learn about cybersecurity. And so if I were going to compare where we're at today with the board level understanding of cybersecurity versus just five years ago, it's leaps and bounds better. Whereas five years ago, the board often only talked about this once in a while and usually struggled to understand what the real governance issues were from a board perspective. Today's boards, I find, are far more digitally savvy and far more aware of cyber risk and what it means as a board director 
to be able to deal with cyber risk. So the result of that is that uh, you know you've got board directors being more demanding of their CISOs, of their CIOs, of their heads of IT audit to speak to cybersecurity and speak in such a way that makes sense at the board level and not get lost in all of the technical jargon that you know sadly people in our profession tend to drill down into quite quickly but actually speak to you know how much should we spend on cybersecurity how do we know that our cybersecurity is any good how do we compare to others in our industry what risks do we have are any of those risks at the unacceptable level and that that level can change depending on the threat landscape. Yeah, of course. And we have case law now at the circuit, at the circuit court level that says that, uh, or it supports the notion of, of a personal liability in addition to a professional liability on, the, on behalf of board members who, who can't who, uh, attest to a full understanding of, of what they assert. So you would think that that would have uh, gotten folks' attention. It, it has. And one of the ways that boards are dealing with that is to ensure, just like you can't have a board made up entirely of former CFOs who are financial experts, nor would you want such a board. You also probably don't want a board made up entirely of just cybersecurity experts. <laughs> right, right. The board either. The whole point is to have diversity of backgrounds, diversity in many respects in all the classic areas of diversity, but also consider diversity of background. And boards are anxious to have someone serving on their board that is digitally savvy and has a strong cyber understanding. And at the same time, bring they're looking to bring the entire board through certifications like the one I received through the NACD up to at least a certain level of cyber understanding and awareness. Much like yeah. all board directors have to, well, they're not all financial experts. They all have to know how to read balance sheets and profit and loss statements and cash flows and be very adept at that. That doesn't mean you're a financial expert, but you at least know how to do your job. And it's kind of that level equivalent of what you're looking for from a cyber perspective. Yeah, indeed. And I see that we're up against it here. So the last question I have for you, Rob. COVID is a business framework that ISACA owns that helps enterprises govern and manage their, their information and, and technology. I, I, you also own the Capability Maturity Model Institute, which I think you acquired from Carnegie Mellon. What's your view on why companies generally ignore models like these? And in addition to that great threat model from MITRE, in favor of appearing to just fly blind in a, in a, in a world loaded with IRS? Yeah, you know, I, I think in many senses, they're not completely ignoring everything. So you see many organizations saluting the NIST flag. So they're looking at the NIST framework relative to cybersecurity. You also see some paying attention to ISO standards like the ISO 2700 series. So I don't know that they're always flying completely blind. However, I'm here to tell you that completely to completely implement NIST, just to kind of go down it checklist fashion, you'll put your company out of business. <laughs> Cost right. you more than you make. Not, not profit-wise, probably revenue-wise. You can't do it all. So how do you know what to do? And that's really where these types of frameworks like COBIT 
and a capability maturity model can come into play is to, to help you understand what the right amount is for your organization. COBIT does map to NIST and various ISO standards. So does ISACA's CMMI that has a capability, uh, a cybersecurity capability platform tool. That underlying maturity model relative to cybersecurity maps to NIST as well and to the ISO standards. So there are usually mappings. The beauty of frameworks like, like these, like COBIT, is that it can help you get to NIST but help you get to it in a cost-effective way and provide the necessary guidance that auditors and cybersecurity professionals can actually do their jobs and have it be against a framework as opposed to just trying to go down a super long checklist and, and check things off. Yeah, and it's uh, it's frustrating to watch from over here, but you know, I think things are moving in that direction at least, so you know, maybe maybe the future will be brighter. But we're out of time today. I do want to thank our guest, Rob Clyde, for taking time out of uh, what I'm sure is an insanely busy schedule to, to join me in, uh, in this exchange. So thank you again. Thank you, Steve. It's been a, a great experience and, and an absolute pleasure. And I, I hope everyone enjoys listening to this. Yeah, I'm sure they will. And, and thank you to our listeners for joining us in another episode of Cyber Theories, exploration into the complex world of cybersecurity, technology, and, and digital realities. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve King, signing out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cybersecurity Unplugged. You can connect with us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Cyber Theory, or send us an email at social at cybertheory.io. For more information about the podcast, visit cybertheory.io forward slash podcast. Until next week, thanks again.